Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Well, without any further ado, today's program is Leadership on the Bodhisattva Path, Integrating Power and Love with Oren J. Sofer and Miki Kashtan. Um, Oren is one of our Spirit Rock teachers here who has practiced meditation in the Theravada Buddhist tradition since 1997 um, and is a longtime student of Joseph Goldstein, Michelle McDonald, and the venerable Ajahn Susito. Suchito. Thank you. <laughs> um, he holds a degree in comparative religion from Columbia University and is also a somatic experiencing practitioner for healing trauma. So one of our somatic teachers who works with trauma. Um, and he recently graduated in our four-year teacher training program this summer. So we're very glad to have our new crop of teachers. And then along with Mickey today, she is the co-founder of the Bay Area Nonviolent Communication um, also referred to as Bay NVC. And she has authored a new book, or new, yes, Reweaving Our Human Fabric, Working Together to Create a Nonviolent Future. Um, These are for sale to, payable to Bay NVC out on the table. So uh, not payable to Mickey, not payable to the bookstore, and I'll have that uh, message on the table. Um, Paige, just a second, there are two other titles that I also brought with me. Oh, then we need to set those out there in the book. Okay. Okay. I'll set those out. So check that out um, at the breaks. Um, Okay. And as I said, Mickey has authored the, the other two titles. I have it here, Spinning Threads of Radical Awareness. Aliveness. Aliveness, excuse me, and The Little Book of Courageous Living. All right, without any further ado, let's welcome our two teachers today for the leadership program and enjoy the program. Thank, Thank you, Paige. Hmm. So I'm very happy to be here uh, with, with each of you today and with my dear friend and colleague, Mickey. Uh, this is the third time we've taught together at Spirit Rock, uh, but the first time we've taught this program, this topic. And um, I, I just, uh, you know, I've spent the last two decades really uh, deepening my understanding of meditation practice and the heart and the mind. Uh, and uh, Mickey's spent many decades um, in addition to exploring inwardly, also ex- exploring uh, the realm of our human relationships and the systems and structures in society uh, and communities that serve and don't serve. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's a real gift and an honor and a privilege for me uh, to be here with Mickey teaching uh, and to share together with you Um, this kind of confluence of our streams of experience and training and wisdom. Yeah. Hmm. I guess it's time for me to say a few words. (laughs) Um, It is, I I feel a little wistful because... Hard to hear. Hard to hear? Can I adjust your mic briefly if you take it You do whatever you want. No, not that Next time, be more clear about whatever you want. <laughs> there, now, now put it on again. Try that. Okay. 
thought we did a sound check and that it was fine. There's something a little excruciating about being on display (laughs) while I'm trying to teach, doing things that are not comfortable. There you go. Is it working better now? Okay. I know every single person here at one point or another has experienced those moments where you just wish for the moment to be over (laughs) because there's nothing good that can happen in that moment. friend of mine once said the only function of the last two months was that they connected what came before them to what came after them. (laughs) I'm glad it's only one moment and not two months. So um, I was starting to say that I feel a little wistful already because Orrin and I already decided that um, between what he's called to do and what I'm called to do, the confluence is diminishing. And so we love teaching together and collaborating, but this is likely the last time. So um, I feel wistful a little bit about that and very excited about the exploration of leadership within the Buddhist context. I am not even a lay Buddhist, but I'm also not entirely an ignoramus. I... um, I did some meditation duty for a few years and I was part of the Thich Nhat Hanh community in the 90s. And I've done a fair amount of reading as a non-Buddhist. Um, and yet it's not the same as you know someone who has dedicated his adult life to deepening into what that means. So the exploration. I've, for me, the part of, of Buddhism that has always called to me more than anything is the idea of the Bodhisattva the person who has the possibility of freeing themselves from everything that is happening here and is choosing consciously to come back in order to serve, in order to liberate others. It's, it's always been deeply evocative for me, that metaphor, and it directly relates to what leadership means to me. So that's all I will say by way of Opening, <clears throat> and I'll uh, I'll just build on that in terms of the bodhisattva uh, ideal and vision um, to say that you know I think that on the spiritual path um, we can we can have the mistaken idea that we somehow need to uh, have everything figured out here before we can engage and help others. And there are even places in the texts that can be um, interpreted this way, you know, where the Buddha says, you know, for one who is sinking in the mud, to help another out of the mud is impossible. You need to find dry land first before you can help someone else who's sinking out. And there's some truth to that, obviously. We can see that. Um, And yet... And yet, right, if two people are sinking in the mud and they work together and collaborate and use both of their eyes and all of their hands and all of their wisdom and ingenuity, it's more likely that they'll get out. So it's it's not that we only work on ourselves uh, before looking around and helping others. And in fact, quite the opposite. Uh, The more that we understand, the more that we look inward and understand how our own mind and body are working, the more we we see uh, our connection with other people. We see that 
the sense of separation that we have uh, is actually uh, um, not in line with reality. And, and that the very, uh, the very movements towards I just need to take care of myself in some ways perpetuate the sense of isolation and pain that we experience. And that as we, as we start to uh, see the porousness of that boundary, that some of our, some of our distress and suffering uh, and pain eases, that it's through, the, through actually embodying, inhabiting, uh, and nourishing our connections with one another and with the world uh, that we're strengthened um, and, uh, and that we, we understand uh, more and more about ourselves since, since we're not actually uh, encased in this, this, this mind and this, this body the way it can appear at first. I want to, uh, you know, we're obviously piggybacking here, so um, the, there is quite a bit of evidence to the effect that people who commit their life to service actually end up having better lives than people who commit their lives to doing all they can do to take care of themselves. So that that's another aspect. So even if you want to take care of yourself, it appears that the best way to take care of yourself is to dedicate yourself to something larger than yourself. And going back to the texts again, we also have you know illustrations and analogies of that, the story of the, the bamboo acrobat and uh, uh, his or her apprentice who says that, you know, uh, you know, one of them says, I'll take, they, they do this act where one stands on the other's shoulders and they're supposed to balance that way. And one says, I'll take care of you and you take care of me. And in this way, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll perform well and we'll make our livelihood. And the other says, no, 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 that's not going to work. You know, I ha- I'll take care of me and you take care of you. And this way, and it's neither, right? You can see that if you're in relationship and balancing with one another, you need to be tracking your own balance and attuned to yourself but you also need to be in relationship with the other person and tracking them. And so this is uh, what, we'll be ex- what we'll be exploring today. We wanted to, we wanted to start with uh, a short guided practice. <clears throat> um, and just a, just a few words about it before, before, we, before we begin. Uh, I think that uh, every one of us here in the room today is aware of the many difficult, um, real, and challenging situations that we as a human species and as a society are facing today on multiple, multiple levels. <clears throat> uh, James Baldwin said, uh, not everything that is faced can be changed but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And so uh, we need to actually turn towards the difficulties in our life, in our relationships, in our communities, in our societies, on our planet, uh, before we can actually have an impact and, and, and uh, use our energy and our wisdom. 
that process of turning towards and including the difficult uh, requires a lot of us internally. It requires strength, it requires resilience, it requires tenderness. It requires that we have the capacity and the ability uh, to hold our sorrow. And so this is what we wanted to begin exploring this morning, is, is garnering our resources inside, strengthening to meet those challenges, and then also allowing whatever comes up, mourning, feeling, uh, the various emotions that, that wash through as we turn towards and face the difficulties. Anything you want to add on that before we begin? Um, no. I also want to just, uh, just uh, introduce um, uh, one or two people who are, who are here. Um, uh, Aya Caspi is um, uh, a friend and colleague of, uh, of Mickey and mine. She's a certified nonviolent communication trainer, and uh, she's one of our guests today um, who's participating and may or may not help out at some point, but I just wanted to introduce her. Uh, and also Sh- Sheila Menezes, thank you, um, who's also a friend and colleague and a photographer, and she's going to be taking pictures of Mickey and I today, so um, she'll just be taking pictures of us, not of you. Uh, and so if you see her snapping her camera, um, that's why. And she has our um, uh, permission and request to do that, just so that you're aware of that. Okay, great. And I just also want to introduce Marlena, who is oh, here thank you. volunteering and helping and is also a longtime friend and colleague. Yeah. Do you want to raise your hand, Marlene, so we can see? Yeah. Great. Yeah, and both both Marlena and Sheila are also um, longtime students of NVC and and offer their own uh, their own things in in, uh, in that discipline as well. So, so I invite you to start by uh, just you know sitting comfortably if you're not already. Your eyes can be open or closed. Wait, I thought we were going to review all the different things and then... Ah, yes. Thank you. So I I can do... Why don't you do that? Okay. Don't sit comfortably. (laughs) Don't get settled. (laughs) We're not doing that yet. So I... Over the years, I have thought a lot and talked also with a lot of people about where does strength come from? Resilience. What strengthens us to be able to do the work of facing, taking leadership, all of those things. And um, there are a number of things. It's not completely exhaustive, but it's, I want to name a list of a few things that clearly help people. Um, one of them is connection to breath and body, which is what meditation, one of the forms of meditation that is common to a lot of people is focusing on the breath and on body sensations. Um, And what that does is is physiologically it changes the neural activity. This has been researched and (coughs) determined that it's so. So that, that is clearly one way of bringing more choice, awareness and strength to us. 
Another one is cultivating a practice of gratitude. Um, gratitude is a fuel of energy. And it, it is a discipline like any other, um, which I've trained myself in doing it. I spent a whole year, every night, reviewing my day and looking for anything I could be grateful for on that day. And that has changed my circuitry. I can now be grateful on demand. <laughs> Anytime, in any situation, I can find something I can be grateful for, and it does something. It changes the energy. A third is love. Just both loving and being loved give us strength. And it's something that can't be cultivating. In the Buddhist tradition, there is the metta meditation, which supports that access to love, and there are many other ways to do that. Another is beauty. I remember someone told me that she asked her Buddhist teacher, what is the antidote to despair? And without losing a beat, he said, beauty. And that has stayed with me, that when we imbibe beauty, it gives us more energy, it does something to our capacity to be present. Then there is community and support, and especially in the Western um, civilization, and especially its modern variety, there's an ethos of self-sufficiency and doing things on your own, which is antithetical to our evolutionary makeup and results in isolation and suffering and weakness. And learning to build a support network is an essential part of getting strong. And the last one is vision. There's something about lifting our heads above what the media say, what we see, what we think, all the suffering that we've had, and hold a clear, vibrant vision of what's possible at any level, what's possible for me in my life, what's possible for my children, what's possible for my family, for my community, for my nation, and what's possible for the whole human species. Having a vision of possibility is a source of energy, strength, and inspiration. So we're not going to cover all of them in the guided meditation, but wanted to name so that when we do the guided meditation, you can completely ignore us and focus on what will be supporting you. Now get comfortable. <laughs> so we will offer some suggestions and guidance for a few of those resilience practices that Mickey mentioned. And you can choose to stay with the guidance we're offering and go through those, or as Mickey said, if there's something that calls to you that you know would be the most nourishing for you this morning, by all means, please just use the time to focus and connect and deepen and strengthen in that. If you're sitting on a chair, uh, the recommendation would be either to have your feet both on the floor or to have your feet crossed, but having you know, legs crossed or one leg up tends to create structurally an imbalance in the body. So we're looking for a sense of alignment and balance physically in the body to begin with. And just starting by tuning into that. So feeling the weight of your body. 
and feeling the support of the chair or the ground. <coughs> There's something holding you up right now. And see, can you just receive that? Can you just receive the steadiness the stability of the ground. like a a ball slowly rolling down a hill. If you can allow your awareness and your attention to gently settle and gather and collect in the body around this sense of gravity and connection with the ground. Sensing the warmth, the vitality and the aliveness of this body. That supports our life. This body which is our vehicle our vehicle for work, for service, for cultivation, for generosity. begin to notice that the body's breathing. Just allowing yourself to receive the sensations of breathing in and breathing out. Like you're sitting on a beach watching and listening to the rhythm of the waves, crashing on the shore and gently receding. Letting yourself be breathed.
aware of the body sitting tuning into the rhythm of breathing. Allowing that to steady and soothe the heart. One simple breath at a time. Letting yourself be nourished by the in-breath. Life and energy entering the body. Allowing yourself to be soothed and calmed by the out-breath. The gentle flowing release. Quieting, the slowing, the stilling. Fully alive, fully awake, fully embodied, just one moment at a time. And so in this space of full awareness, we can begin to turn our attention to different themes to brighten the mind to uplift the heart by introducing a certain quality or reflection and so the first of these will invite you to contemplate is gratitude just calling to mind something specific real and tangible that you appreciate that brings a sense of gratitude it could be as simple as having a place to sleep that's dry and warm, having food to eat. Having clothes to wear.
as you uh, find something specific to recollect that brings gratitude. Just hold that image, that memory, or that meaning. Hold that in your mind. Maybe it's a person, an event. Hold that in your awareness. And then feel the effect of that through your body. happens in response to your awareness of this thing that you're grateful for. See if you can let yourself be nourished by this. Really take it in. like sitting in a patch of sunlight on a cool morning and letting the warmth and the heat of the light touch your skin, how everything can soften and open in that light. In the same way, feeling any of the sense of gratitude, the loosening, the softening, the brightening, letting your whole being Just take that in, be nourished by it. You can stay with one object of gratitude or you can allow several move to another one. Feel and taste that, allowing that in. into this discipline of gratitude, as Mickey mentioned. Training the heart and the mind to keep coming back to just appreciating and receiving. We'll take a few more moments with this and then I'll turn it over to Mickey for another reflection.
Second reflection we want to focus on is vision. This time what I'm going to ask you to do is choose what you want to have a vision for. It can be as small as this day and as large as the future of humanity. And allow yourself to imagine a most satisfying and vibrant kind of vision. As you sink into the vision, you might encounter cynicism, confusion, overwhelm, a sense of impossibility. The discipline is to bring your attention back to what do you want instead of what is coming up. Paint a vision. Allow yourself to rest in that vision as if it's reality. Focus on details or on large picture. Let yourself drink in the sense of possibility. You might want to go back to a time when you were younger and had dreams. Let those dreams infuse this moment. Release the voice of realism and float with the vision. Fantasize. Wonderful would it be. And for the next couple of minutes, any time you catch yourself moving away from the vision, Gently bring your awareness back to the vision.
Take a few more breaths, savoring whatever vision you conjured up. Just noticing how you're feeling, how you're doing, uh, what worked for you, what didn't. It's uh, essential, I think, to find at least one practice of resilience that works for us and to take time every day, even if it's 30 seconds to, uh, to train ourselves to cultivate a resource or uh, uh, a place to energize and strengthen and build resilience and this becomes particularly relevant as we explore uh, stepping into leadership as we explore using our intelligence, our influence, our power, our privilege to whatever degree we have privilege uh, to create change uh, and to occupy a position of leadership. So this day is a day about leadership and so we want to kind of invite you into an orientation of leadership towards the day. Usually when people come into a workshop there's an orientation of consumption. I am here to receive something. If what I'm receiving is not working for me then I will sit inside and complain or tune out or walk away or think about something else. And this is what we do with our lives a lot. We kind of wait for the right moment to enjoy life or for the right moment to be able to do something. I did this for years. Wait for, you know, being with the right people, having the right this, the right that. And there is something very different that happens when you step into the driver's seat and realize that you cannot change the circumstances that surround you. At least I'm not of the belief system that says that you can change the circumstances. Things happen. Um, we have complete freedom in how we respond to them and what we do. 
once the circumstances are there. So this is a small invitation to think of yourselves as co-creating this workshop with us. Yes, we came with a plan, but first of all, the plan can change. This can be thrown out. And there is something about here we are. We are here now, all of us. Whatever brought us here, we are here. And how do we co-create something that is going to be the most meaningful possible? What are you going to give of yourself to this day to support it in being the most uh, vibrant experience that it could be? It's not a particular action. It's an intentionality, an orientation that is the invitation. It's really about taking responsibility for our own ex- for our experience and for being aware of what's happening inside of our of our needs and our feelings uh, and being willing uh, to engage with that and to engage with others around us and this is this shift from consumption to leadership as Mickey's framing it is really at the heart of a spiritual practice and a spiritual path it's uh, it's another way of languaging as I understand it the four noble truths that we shift from uh, being a passive agent in life and a victim of circumstances and recognizing that ultimately we're responsible for our own stress and suffering and for our own response to the world inside and out. And the more, uh, the more we step into a place of leadership in ourselves in relation to uh, the world around us, uh, the more choice we have, the more we experience, actually, our sense of innate power in how we respond, which no one can take away. So to close the loop in terms of the waiting, what I have come to do instead of waiting is every moment, wherever I am, to the extent that I remember, and there is a lot of unconsciousness that happens in life, but to the extent that I'm conscious, I remember my vision of what I want to see in the world, and I ask myself, and then I do, what is the most powerful thing that I can do in this context, with these people, with these constraints, with whatever is happening, what is the most powerful thing that I can do that brings me and whatever else is around me as close as possible to the vision. It might be infinitesimal and it changes everything to be oriented in this way. So I think I want to give people like a two minute Mm -hmm. version of what we're planning to do with the day. Um, So um, for the rest of the morning what we're planning to do is Um, invite you into learning to mourn as a way of being real and strong in facing what is happening. And then um, then, um, the second part of the morning is how do we actually explore what leadership means to us and how we step into it. That will conclude the morning. And then in the afternoon, 
our focus is on questions of power and privilege and how do we engage with power and leadership on the material plane. That's it. And we'll take, um, we'll take a 15-minute break halfway through the morning, uh, halfway, halfway through the afternoon, and uh, we'll also take a, uh, an hour-long break for lunch uh, somewhere around 12.30. So you have just kind of a sense of our plan for the day. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the other side of resilience, um, which is uh, holding uh, sorrow and pain. It takes resilience to experience our, uh, our vulnerability. And then when we actually open to the sorrow and the mourning, it actually gives us more strength. Because what takes the energy is fighting against the sorrow, much more so than the sorrow itself. Yeah. It's, you know, just a very kind of base analogy. It's, it's you know, strengthening a muscle. And if you don't use it, it atrophies. But in the process of using the muscle, uh, it becomes sore, right? The tissues actually tear a little bit, but it's, it's through that soreness that they actually strengthen. So what we'd like to do uh, is to in invite you to uh, gather in small groups uh, and to reflect together um, on uh, your, uh, your concerns for the world. Your concerns, um, uh, and this can be at any level, right? Um, but, uh, you know, what is it uh, in your heart uh, that concerns you today, personally, uh, collectively, or beyond? My sense is that the more you step outside of your own personal concerns, the more powerful will be the strengthening that comes from the morning. There's an aversion to mourning that is a cultural habit. Um, and if we step into leadership, we end up being exposed to more. Anyone who steps into any position of leadership, other people come to you. You learn more, you hear more, more is expected of you. You need to strengthen your ability to face things and surrender into the flow of mourning. For me, I've defined bliss in a very simple way, as having no resistance to the flow of life through me. It's very different from something that, it, it's not the same as joy. It's, it's, the, it's kind of like an irreducible aliveness that comes from having no resistance. So if it's sorrow, then let it be sorrow. So we'll take... Um We'll take uh, about 10 minutes, maybe a little bit more for this, uh, to just have sort of a free-flowing conversation um, in your small group of three or four about uh, uh, what concerns you, uh, what troubles you, uh, what pains you, 
um, in our world today. And um, uh, you can structure this in whatever way works for your group, whether you say, okay, each person, let's take three minutes, and you time it, and each person shares, um, or you just sort of more more loosely have a, have a conversation. Um, uh, use your awareness, your sensitivity, and your intelligence to ensure that everyone has a chance to speak. And, and one more thing. There's something sacred about allowing each person to have their experience without getting into whether you agree with them or not. Yeah. To just give your heart and presence to listening to what seems to be painful for another person instead of, really? That's what pains you? Hmm. Right. Or I have different information. I disagree that w- as, as, as we're sitting together, we're really just holding space for one another to just listen and receive uh, what's in each other's hearts. And this is something that culturally um, we don't do very often. Uh, as Mickey was saying, the aversion to mourning, the aversion to discomfort, to pain, or just to being real. Okay, so let's use this time to be real. Uh, and that starts with being real with ourselves and then to allow that to be real with one another. And tears are welcome. Yes. And without apologizing, they are a necessary ingredient of our strengths. Any questions about uh, what we're inviting you to do now? So what we'll do is we'll ring, uh, we'll ring a bell halfway through the time just to give you a little heads up uh, to track it. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Per group, three to four. Yeah, yeah, three to four people per group. Okay. Okay. Feel free to move chairs around to stand and so forth. So finish your finish your thought or your sentence, and stay where you are. Let's come back to silence as you finish your thought. And Mickey and I would like to guide you now in taking in what's just been shared and experienced. So once again, we'll uh, ask you to uh, turn your attention inward. And, And this can be eyes open or closed, but bring your attention now internally. And allow yourself to feel what's present in you right now. You don't have to change it. You don't have to understand it. And there's nothing you're supposed to be experiencing right now. It might be blank or numb. It might be joyful or sorrowful. We're just bringing awareness, however you're feeling and whatever you're experiencing. Notice 
any resistance, physically, emotionally, or mentally, any sense of pulling away, tightening, any idea that what's happening should be different. without needing to change even the resistance. And we want to invite you to do a little gentle going back and forth between the experience of mourning and the practices that support resilience. And so I'm going to invite you to consciously choose to release yourself into the depths of the morning that your concerns might raise in you. If you're thinking about people suffering, imagine you with them. Open your heart, open your heart, open your heart. Continue breathing, especially if you feel fear. As needed, Turn your attention back to resilience. Feel the support of the earth and the ground beneath you. Receive the gentle rhythm of the breath. Remember the strength of those you love, of gratitude, vision, or beauty. As you touch into the resilience, allow yourself to let go completely of the sorrow, of the mourning. You don't need to push it away, but you don't need to hold on to it either. It's just like breathing in and breathing out. We are nourished and we release. So let yourself be nourished. Let yourself take in any strength. Use the resilience to give yourself more capacity to go deeper into the morning.
let your heart break. Allowing yourself to feel. Waves of resistance, waves of fear. Waves of not caring, whatever's present just opening to it, bowing to it. Staying connected to your body, staying connected to your breathing. And finally, coming back one last time to the strength. Touching back into the sense of integrity, alignment in your body and in your heart. Remembering that we are not alone. Even right now in this moment, we're here in this room together, all feeling, all breathing, all practicing. Bring your awareness to the strength, the reality of that connection. And as you do that, I invite you very gently to let your eyes open. Take your time. Orient to the room. Getting to just look around. Notice the other beings. Recollect the shared intentions that have brought us here together today. So we now want to leave you with some, a few moments to contemplate what you want to do with these practices in your life. So we'll give you a moment to contemplate individually and then ask you to debrief with each other and then we'll hear some of you later before we take break. 
And the question to contemplate is, how do you anticipate integrating practices of resilience and mourning into your life in support of your leadership? So take a moment in silence and then we'll invite you to share with each other. How do you see yourself integrating the practices of resilience and mourning in your life? So now um, take a few moments to share with each other your responses to the question or whatever else is meaningful for you to share. Remember, this is your day. You do what is right for you. We give you suggestions, but you are in charge. And so we'll just take about five minutes for this last segment together. Oh, I didn't time a minute, so... We would love to hear from a few of you. It would be lovely if we could hear from each and every single one of you, and it won't happen. So I would like to... I'd like to invite you to consider whether speaking in a group is easy for you and if so to wait a few more seconds before raising your hand and if speaking in a group is not something you often do consider whether this just might be the time when your voice will be heard by all so floor is open And uh, Marlena, could you just make a mental note after we take a break to get the handheld from Paige so we can use it for these segments? Oh, we do. Oh, great. Thank you. So just wait for the mic so folks can hear you. This gentleman right here, yeah. Go for it. So maybe stand up so everybody can hear you. Oh, it's... Yes. Can you, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so for me, it was r- really helpful when we were doing that one meditation and to just get a sense of what was coming up inside. And so it reminded me, like, on a daily basis, my practice is if I'm at work and something is coming up, to just sense... I find sensing where my body is coming up and breathing really helps, whether it's a conflict situation or just listening to somebody uh, and 
feeling what's going on with my body. So here, it was like there's, there's a little bit of fear that came up. And so, you know, I name it, and then I pay attention to where it's going in my body, and I notice it moves. Mm-hmm. You know, it may start a little bit higher up in the chest, may move down, so the fear for me kind of winds up in the kind of upper belly a little bit. And then I just breathe in, and I just go with it. And I find over the years it's it's gotten easier to stay in that place. Fear doesn't really stick around that mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. And it just helps me to be more, you know, mm-hmm. open and aware mm-hmm. when someone's sharing something with me at work. Mm-hmm. That could be a problem. It mm-hmm. could be an experience, right. and yeah. and not try to get away from yeah. it, um, mm-hmm. and to do so in a measured way, so I'm not overwhelmed. Thank you. Thank you. Very important uh, recognition of the link between our awareness practice, our practice of allowing ourselves to feel what's true and present in the moment, uh, giving us more space and strength and options in relationship and conversation and then in leadership. Other experiences or comments? Um, I was sharing with the group that, um, to me, Cultivating the resilience is is um, it's a practice both internally and also externally, internally with ourselves and externally with the others in a community in a group. And um, in terms of how to bring this cultivation of resilience into the leadership that I'm stepping into right now is to first of all to recognize the being a leader in the leadership is is also to be a leader for myself mm-hmm. internally to take up that leadership for myself to be responsible to to my own needs and feelings emotions and my behaviors and also and at the same time to bring that forward once i have the understanding of what's going on with myself then i have that understanding of the others, then I can see the others. Mm. So, yes, I think that's important to do both ways. Thank you. I really liked how you framed your definition of bliss. And when it's framed like that, I can see um, there's just so much beauty inside of despair. Mm. When there's an absence of resistance, the allowing of mourning, I have personally found to be quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. depression, sadness, loss yeah. actually can be gifts and there can be light inside of them. And I've had personal experiences where I've sat in those places very deeply and enjoyed it. And then I move through it and out of it and into another place that maybe from an outside perspective seems more enjoyable than that despair one before. And I find that to be that framing of bliss in that way, a nice way to begin to view that integration of resilience and mourning. I just want to add to kind of building on both of your comments, the just the recognition that resilience practices uh, are, are very varied and wide, right, and necessary for developing that ability to not have resistance to the difficult places. But as you were starting to say, you know, 
uh, resilience practices are both internal and individual, but also relational and and uh, um, and, and communal. Um, and and these include, and I just wanted to mention them. Uh, they include things like eating well, getting enough rest and exercise, spending time in nature, <laughs> spending time with good friends. Um, you know, doing things that we enjoy uh, that that cultivate a sense of well-being. Uh, physically and emotionally and mentally. And so the ones that we were sharing with you earlier this morning are specifically internal resilience practices. Mm -hmm. And they're accessible during times of mourning. Yeah. So then that is where that beauty can be mm -hmm. seen. Yeah. Maybe one or two more. So I really like what you said, Mickey, about um, mourning being a, a, source of, a source of resilience or strength. I forget exactly how you said it. And, and what I realized is that when people come to me with expressing pain, and in particular when, they're, when I'm experiencing that they're blaming me for that source of pain, in the past I would tend to defend myself but I could see that if I give that person space to experience that and give that person an opportunity to mourn themselves then that can be an opportunity for strength and resilience for them mm -hmm. which would be more likely for them to look from responsibility and so on and so forth which is really what the defending would be about anyway mm -hmm. yeah. so I see a probably a more effective <laughs> strategy for that mm -hmm. And um, so that's the practice I'm going to take on. Um, wait, wait for the mic. Uh, I really love presenting mourning as the frontier of leadership at this stage in our uh, global dialogue, whatever, how we <laughs> want to frame that. Um, I sensed, it was just a couple of weeks ago, that well, what if we had a UN International Year of Mourning? Mm. Or going into a decade of mourning. Um, but, and my sense was, because it's like we haven't taken time to acknowledge the traumas and the tragedies going on in our world, the people dying in the Mediterranean, all the refugees, Syria... I came across uh, an image with all the news things, you know, on my cell phone as you go through it. It said, you know, and, and then flip to the next one. Every moment a child in one of the countries of Africa, I think Ethiopia, every moment a child in Ethiopia dies of hunger. And it's like, you know, I was just logging into my cell phone, right? And so it's like that moment and that goes into me and it's like, and that's happening in the world. It's not just, yeah. oh, I'm confronting this phenomena. It's that's happening. Yeah. And so it's like all of the stuff that's happened and that's going on that we haven't taken, and it's in the ethers. It's in the world between the worlds. And unless we clear that, what is our window to the purity of spirit and that integrity? And the bliss, as the other gentleman was saying, uh, the other woman was saying, it's like, how do we transmute that whole thing 
So it would be amazing to present that mm-hmm. as a year of mourning and transformation through bliss, you know, as a practice <laughs> to the world stage. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's beautifully framed. Thank you. I want to add one more thing about the, the morning, which is I find that when I am confronted with something that I don't know what to do about, my habit is to speed up the trying to do something. And it is entirely uncreative um, because it's reactive. And that if I can do this practice of mourning and I remove the resistance, I remove the fighting the bad thing and instead release and surrender to it, On the other end, there is almost invariably more creativity. Suddenly, there is something that can be done, not to fix the situation, but to respond to the situation that has integrity and clarity and humanity that I didn't think about before because I was in this kind of like hard space. And just to to kind of to take that, that, that sort of piece of insight and wisdom that Mickey's sharing and, and um, uh, open it for, for us to say that, you know, each of us may have a different pattern around what we do internally when we meet something difficult that we don't know how to respond to. So for Mickey, she noticed it was speeding up to try to fix it or respond um, but for each of us, that might be different. What we do in that space, it might be turning the other way. It might be numbing out. It might be going into sadness or despair, right? But for each of us to track what is that pattern of reactivity, what is that habit, and then, as Mickey's saying, to use that as a signal to slow down and create the space for using these practices of resilience and mourning to then allow... Um, uh, a, a more resourced response. So on that note, let's take a break um, for um, about 10 minutes. It's a quarter after 11. We'll start again at uh, 11.25. And it seems unrealistic to me. Yeah. We'll say, t- we'll say 10 and we'll be back in 15. Let's recreate the aisles uh, again in the middle and down the side if we could. So we'll start at 11.30. Okay. How's everybody doing? Yeah? Move the body a little bit. Take care of some of the basic needs. Good. <clears throat> so we wanted to uh, take what we've, what we've done so far this morning and start to turn our attention now uh, towards leadership. And to do this by reflecting on examples in our life of leadership. So what we'll invite you to do is to uh, think about role models in your life. Who has embodied leadership in your life. And this this could be people that you know, colleagues, friends, uh, co-workers, family members, teachers, mentors. Um, uh, oftentimes, that's going to be the most 
uh, alive, uh, someone that you actually uh, have spent time with or have some relationship with. It can also be uh, more generally, though. It could be, uh, you know, a leader um, that you haven't met, but that you, whose work uh, you're aware of, who inspires you. So role models for leadership in your life. And as you, as you reflect on that thinking about what does it mean to you to be a leader? You know, what are, what, what are the qualities of leadership? As you think about role models for leaders, what is it that makes that person a leader? What are the qualities that they bring forth, that they embody? So this is the first part, role models for leaders and what qualities they embody that make them a leader in your, in your eyes. And then the second part are what are your own strengths or gifts as a potential leader or as a leader? Recognizing that there isn't one thing that makes a leader. So looking inward and seeing what is a strength or gift that you have in the vein of leadership. Anything you want to add? Yeah, which is that it's very easy to compare ourselves to someone we admire by looking at their strengths and our weaknesses. We lose instantly. Um, it is much more of a powerful discipline to imagine seriously what your own strengths are. There is no person who lacks strengths in leadership. Um, one of the things that I think of in terms of leadership is that it's essential to have an accurate assessment of what my strengths are and what my challenges are. And to lead with my strengths and compensate for the challenges. Instead of thinking, okay, I have this challenge or this weakness and therefore I can't lead. So right now we're going to be asking you to really lean on what your strengths are as you get inspired by the role models in your life. So why don't we start just with a, just with a minute or two I'm sure your mind has already started to kind of reflect and turn over these questions. So let's take another minute or two, uh, just individually, to uh, reflect inwardly on role models of leadership, the qualities of leadership, and uh, uh, really, really stretching to uh, connect with and recognize your own strengths, the qualities in you the gifts that you have that you can bring to leadership. Notice what happens internally as you turn your attention and particularly towards yourself and your own strengths and the point that Mickey made around the tendency to focus on our own weaknesses or challenges. It's important to, to be aware of those and it's equally important to lead with our strengths to know what those are. So use this, the tools of meditation. 
use the tools of training your attention to keep coming back to, yeah, yeah, and what do I have to offer? What is a gift? What is a strength of mine? And if that's challenging, think of someone who knows you, a friend, a colleague, a family member. What would they say your strengths are? Allow yourself to be reflected in their eyes. So let's, um, let's form small groups again. Uh, try to uh, form a different group. So to link up with uh, maybe two other people, three if you need, so small groups of three and four. Uh, and again, we'll share on this question of uh, role models of leadership. What are, the, what, what, what are the qualities that you see in a leader And then what strengths or gifts do you have? Any questions about the instructions? We'll take about 15 minutes for this this discussion. And again, we'll ring the bell halfway through to just let you know that we're halfway through the time. So find a small group. Try to connect with different different folks. Move, move Move around the room if you need to. All right. So please, uh, if you see my hand, raise yours and join the silence. If you see any hand, raise yours and join the silence. If you see anybody's hand, raise yours and join the silence. Thank you. So by go ahead. So having taken some time to reflect on the leaders around us in our life, the qualities of leadership that we see in them, and the qualities of leadership that we see in ourselves, we wanted to reflect together on knowing your own strengths, or at least one or some of them, what needs to shift? What needs to change for you to step into leadership? Or more leadership if you're already in, the, in stepping into leadership. Or to move in that direction if you're not. So knowing your own strengths, knowing these qualities, what needs to shift or change for you to step into leadership or into more leadership? We're open to Natalie, yeah. And if we have the mic, that would be great. Just pass it back to her. There it is. 
I was wondering if I could ask a clarifying point on your question. Could you um, share what you both mean, what leadership means to both of you? Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have a pretty simple definition that I use for leadership. For me, leadership is taking responsibility for the whole. Responsibility for the whole. And it's an orientation that is independent of what position you have in the world. You can be a male clerk in a large corporation and you still can have a leadership orientation to life and people will notice. And we live in a culture that discourages us from looking after the whole. So it takes conscious choice to step into it. And it's that conscious choice that we want to encourage through this exploration. Thank you, Natalie. I think everybody benefited from your question. So that that is a tiny example of where that question is serving the whole. It's not just you. And it's and it's taking responsibility and leadership for your own learning and growth in, in this time together. Yeah. And um for me I, I love the, the clarity and succinctness of your definition. And and uh, the other thing that I that I would highlight in that, which which I've in, I know you talk about and teach about a lot, is with with it from that orientation, looking and seeing um, how can I use the resources I have um, to create influence to to uh, to have influence in the direction of serving the whole. So it's that sense of the orientation and then the exploration and the, the creativity and ingenuity to see how do I leverage my resources in service of that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. Intention and action, yeah. A lovely pair. Intention, intention without action doesn't really do anything. And action without intention is, is too unruly. You don't know if it's actually going to create the effect that you want. We do a lot of each separately. And combining the two is is a little bit more um, of a discipline. So with that, the question is still on the table. What needs to happen for you to shift in that direction? And my name's Karen. Uh, for me, it's to stop waiting. Mm-hmm. And know? why are you waiting? Um, well, I'm not taking personal responsibility. Yeah. Why, why have you been choosing to wait? Well, it's actually some past history of being a leader. I was a first responder on 9-11. I worked for United Airlines. So I did the memorial services, and I was one of, on the executive team that responded to that crisis. And so I stepped out of leadership... <laughs> Because this dance between the suffering of how do I hold 
by nature being an inspiring leader who who naturally brings joy to a a situation like that of immense suffering and how to be with other suffering. And I didn't really have... I had a practice, but I didn't have the way to integrate that into my life. So you got burnt out. Absolutely. And And I actually stepped out of my entire life, not even leading for myself. (sighs) Yeah, so so while, while you breathe for a moment, I wanna check how many people here have been in situations or times in your life where you were in leadership without sufficient support or practice and got burnt out. Look around. So this is why we did all these practices in the morning. And what are the tears in your eyes about? How much I've really missed mm. contributing really being a leader yeah and how much I loved that role mm. and so there's that just getting present to the joy coming back of really expressing all of who I am mm. through being a leader instead of letting the fear run that and stopping mm. me mm-hmm. so Mm. There's a lot. I can feel the joy mm-hmm. in yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, and it's time. There's nothing else. Mm. There's no, you know. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, I have a sense that the world needs every single one of us who is willing. Yeah, and just doing the practice this morning of being able to dance between the two. Yeah. Like it's all great it's not doesn't have to be separated out mm-hmm. so I sort of would wait a difficult thing would come up and I would wait and I would sit with that suffering and now I can dance with all of that mm. and so the fear is actually not really there mm-hmm. so something my mind tells me so thank you mm-hmm. Um, thank you for uh, provoking. You hold the mic. Yeah. Thanking, thank you for provoking in me. Uh, um, uh, hold the mic close to your mouth, so otherwise we won't. Thank have you it. for yeah. provoking in me. Um, where I sit uncomfortably, and that is about the grief work that I am doing personally after being burnt out. The personal grief work because um, it's taking enormous courage mm-hmm. um, for me to seek out professional help, not using my family and friends, but having someone objective to help me walk through the grief of years of, you know, pushed-in feelings and... Um, yeah. Leaving. Yeah. So there's that quality of the courage, and there's also what I'm what I, I'm sort of sensing and wanting to reflect back to you is there's a persistence, there's a quality of of energy to to sustain the courage to keep 
kind of healing and strengthening through the grief work. Yeah, at times the energy has anger, mm-hmm. intense anger yeah. and rage. Yeah. At times the energy is just this total melting of my heart. There is, um, I mean, you touched on it in the morning. There is a quality of uh, holding with tenderness both the action and the inner work. And where we can, we need to know when is the time to continue to do the inner work. We don't stop doing the inner work. We stop waiting, like you're saying. And how can we tell? So we we do it. We don't wait indefinitely. And there's there's no right answer. But my general bias is sooner. Yeah. A- action brings energy. Yeah. And um, there is a fallacy. I have to be ready. Mm-hmm. I have to be perfect. I have to be able to live up to what is happening. And guess what? If all of us do this, then we leave the leadership of everything to the people who are not as thoughtful and caring as we're trying to be. Just behind you. If you just say your name, please. Sure. Um, my name's Don. Um, and I think what has been holding me back from leadership uh, recently, um, after being involved in various forms of community activism and political activism and uh, learning nonviolent communication and attending Spirit Rock, uh, recently it has been. Uh, just the search for some some way to participate that I think would be effective, and I uh, I suggested in our group that the most uh, effective leader I've seen recently is Donald Trump, who's who has created more social change and and implemented his vision more effectively than any other leader I have seen in in recent years, and so I'm I'm searching to figure out why someone who embodies the antithesis of everything that I've learned over the years has been so effective mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and why the processes that I've been engaged in have not been effective. So. Uh, here. I, I want to pause for a second because I'm, I'm appreciating uh, the honesty and the courage of framing it like this, and and I just want to take a moment for all of us to breathe with this um, complexity that you raised. Um, there is something that he knows, I think, about how to speak to people's dissatisfaction in a way that they feel cared about. And that clearly is a 
a quality that we all would want to embody in being able to lead. And many, many people who have been leading from a different vantage point have not been able to give people a sense that their suffering matters. That's, that's the piece that I can glean from it. Uh, not that it's a complete program, but it's a piece. My name is Margaret. Um, thank you, Mickey, for stopping. I was going to ask for a, a moment to just take that in. Um, I have been um, hesitating, waiting to be perfect um, forever. You're the only one. I'm, I know. <laughs> now I can't, Now I'm done with today, now that I know it's happening. No. Um, but recently, in the third iteration of my life, um, I have be- become a chaplain in a hospital, and there's a, a lot of suffering I can mm-hmm. be with and hold mm-hmm. with um, tremendous joy. Mm-hmm. And the, the um, hesitation I have around leadership is um, self-doubt. And I, I have enough instinct to be present with the self, with, present with other people in their suffering with my own self-doubt in the room. But when I have no self-doubt, I'm a million times better. Mm-hmm. And so it's self-doubt is the, mm-hmm. is the long, is mm-hmm. the short answer, right. is I have so much habit and muscle memory around self-doubt and I really want to let that go mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't know how yet. I, I, I have a thought which is um, you're not going to stop believing it but you can ignore it. The self-doubt is the result of socialization. You, I can guarantee you that you did not come into this world doubting yourself. If you look at infants and toddlers, fundamentally they don't doubt themselves. So it comes from the outside in. It comes from a form of socialization that most of us have been subjected to where everything is questioned and the main message is don't do what you want because that is detrimental. Who you are is not okay. You need to be molded, shaped, broken, whatever society deems in order to fit. And if you're female then self-doubt is even more strongly instilled in you. So it's not going to be something that you can do this and overnight suddenly not have it. But you can train yourself to have the self-doubt just be a chatter. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a movie quite a number of years ago, A Beautiful Mind, it was one of the most touching things that I saw. Specifically, this is, so this is about, it's a sort of true story about a mathematician who developed 
um, hallucinations and lost his capacity to do his work. And one day he realized that the girl that was showing up in the hallucinations um, was always the same age and that it had been already many years. So he came to understand that these were hallucinations. And from that moment on, even though the hallucinations continued to come, he trained himself to ignore them. It's unbelievable strength. I, I think it's doable. I think it's more doable than hoping that you will wake up one day without it. If you recognize that the voice of the self-doubt is not your voice, you can choose to say thank you and keep going. And in that process, um, recognizing the moments when it's not present mm -hmm. and you're in your strength, pay a lot of attention to those and really feel what it feels like. Like let yourself take a um, a three D mental Polaroid of that experience, and 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 the more you do that, you mark that moment. It's like, all right, this is what it feels like to be fr to have freedom from that voice, to not be under its thumb, even when it's present. And you're not, but it's not running the show. That will start to strengthen and expand that potential in you to embody that space more and more. The word accurate assessment, what you mentioned earlier, that's what I mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Accurate assessment is an act of kindness. Um, it includes recognizing <coughs> my limitations, <coughs> which is very different from judging myself. Yeah. Uh, okay, my name is Heather. I think those two comments made me realize one that I didn't write down yet, which is so lovely when these spaces do that. Uh, I definitely battle with the self-doubt, but I think what this year has really brought to me is, mm, it's hard to say it out loud even. Um, then slow down. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that you can speak with truth and not by forcing yourself to speak. Thank you. Just walk gently towards saying it. Okay. I find myself sometimes doubting that compassion will be larger than cruelty in the whole. Mm. And then with Donald Trump, it just kind of felt like, you know, when I'm envisioning these programs I want to create and different things I want to do, I sometimes wonder, like, can I, can I see the possibility? Is the reality, have I seen the reality to believe we can create it? I want to, but sometimes I'm like, mm -hmm. I feel like, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm. Mm fundamental um, foundation for leadership and action is that uh, that confidence and, and trust that uh, 
our actions and intentions can be meaningful and move in the direction of our vision. There, there is a lot more accessible information in the world about cruelty than about compassion. It doesn't mean there is less compassion. Um, I, a number of years ago, I wrote an article to the New York Times. And the one segment in the article, which is not in the end in the article is that based on this collaborative thing that happened in the company that is in the article, oops, sorry, a salesman voluntarily returned one-third of his commission to improve the profit margins. The editor uh, said she wanted me to take out that passage. I, I said, why? It happened. She said, it's over the top. And um, it's one of those rare moments where you are witness to the society recreating a story. So you wouldn't have any way of knowing that that happened because it's not in the article. The you know if he had done if he had stolen money, that would not have been over the top. So. The, m- the moral of the story for me is that we need to be kind of like um, excavators of positivity. Not in any kind of a Pollyanna way, but to go look for them. Look for the places where you find the information that will nurture your face. And it will require effort. I want to I want to I want to bring something back that just happened and that's been happening to kind of try to bring together some of what we're doing here today. Um so this was is it Bridget? Heather. Heather. Yeah. So this moment where I don't know where Bridget came from where Heather started speaking <laughs> and there was a tremble in your voice and you recognized that it was hard to say and Mickey invited you to slow down. And that shift to be present to yourself and honor what's true in you is a movement into leadership. Mm. And it's one of the things that... It's one of the qualities that we can develop as leaders is the ability to trust ourselves enough to know that what we have to say matters, that we can take our time, and that in doing so, um, we give ourselves permission to ask for others' attention in listening to us. That takes leadership. That's an act of leadership. And so we're sort of, we're working on two different levels here today. We're working on the on this this broader arc of vision, social action, one's life. But that broader arc is actualized and built from small moments, like taking the time to speak our truth and not rushing ourselves, like asking a very like asking a question that we're not sure about, 
like taking responsibility for getting the most out of the day. So these small actions and small shifts inside ourself line up towards that, towards that larger trajectory. So do you want to shift to the next? Yeah. I am, yeah. I am, I am uh, that I want to read, th- half of which was on the flyer, but I want to read the whole thing. So yeah. it's going to be one second for me to find it. Don't wait, but slow down. <laughs> <laughs> nice. When I was a teenager and just starting to kind of recognize that there was another dimension to life that wasn't being talked about, I used to, I, you know, would put these little quotes up on my wall that meant something to me. This was before I found spiritual practice, and one of them said... Um, uh, it's good to stop and think. And then the one right next to it said, sometimes it's better not to think too much. <laughs> Both are true. Okay. Um, my computer is uh, is not happy for some reason. So I'm going to have to do it from memory, uh, which is going to be somewhat imperfect. It's a quote from Martin Luther King. But she's not waiting. (laughs) 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 To be perfect. (laughs) If I waited to be perfect, (laughs) 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 I would not be here. So, um, he said... One of the greatest tragedies of history is that the concept of power and love have been separated from each other. Power is seen as a denial of love and love as a resignation of power. What is needed is to understand that power without love is reckless and abusive and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love um, responding to the demands of justice Justice, at its best, is love correcting everything that stands in the way of love. For me, this is a fantastic recipe for leadership in the nonviolent tradition. It's the only leadership that I'm interested in. And it, I think, Heather, that it's also a direct answer to your question because it doesn't ask, is there enough compassion in the world? It only says, I will bring the compassion that I can. Is it enough? I don't know. Will the human species make it? I don't know. Can I bring all the compassion that I have? Yeah, I know that. And... um, 
I, I have a l- all of the afternoon. We're going to. I think it's all the afternoon. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're going to look at questions of power and privilege, and how they relate to how we step into leadership and how we utilize our resources. For the moment, before getting into the totality of this, I want to share with you a few things about where I see nonviolence and leadership um, feeding into each other. Um, I've I've come to believe that nonviolence can be distilled into three core elements. It's kind of like I think of it as a three-legged stool. And those are love, truth, and courage. Love, truth, and courage. And in order to not forget any of them, I've put them all into one sentence that helps remember, which is that nonviolence is the courage to speak truth with love. And it's really an exacting discipline that um, without the courage, you can't do it. But you can pretend to be loving without truth. You can do truth without love. Either one is ultimately not a full response. And each of them has their own different form of damage that they create. And when you add into it the aversion to power that so many people have, especially people who care, people who care, people who have a vision of a world that works for everyone, generally have an aversion to power. Let's check. Raise your hand if you have some form of aversion to power. All right. This is going to result in this harsh thing. If we don't step into leadership, we're going to leave all positions of leadership to people who are willing to use their power recklessly and abusively. Or just blindly. And resulting in recklessness and abuse. Yeah. Who are, who are not deterred by the things that we are deterred with. So it's not about, you know, let's let go of our sensitivities. No, it's about let's transform our concept of power, our concept of leadership, so that we can bring the fullness of the love and passion that live in us into the leadership. So, for example, there's a concept called professional you familiar with that concept? Can you think how damaging it is to try to be a professional? When you try to be a professional, what's the first thing that's supposed to go? Emotion, care, love. Um, um, when I found out that child care workers, child care workers are not are expected not to touch children. Uh, That um, 
as mediators, facilitators, we're expected to be neutral. I, I train people to be facilitators and mediators, and I tell them neutrality is not something to strive for. No, don't take sides. Advocate for everyone. Throw yourself in. Be someone that everyone can trust that you care about them. Neutrality is not caring. Professional is about stripping off our humanity, our hearts, and just doing the technical aspects of the work. This is what makes for people who are willing to do things that are unimaginably awful because they're not supposed to be emotional, they're supposed to be professional. There's an account that I read from a man who was the head of the British mission to the UN. His name is Carney Ross, and he was in charge of the sanctions on Iraq. Subsequently, he resigned and wrote a book uh, that I found quite inspiring called The Leaderless Revolution. And somewhere in this book, he's talking about the legacy of him having done these things. And he specifically attributes his capacity to do this to not questioning, to not... Uh, um, it, it was like diplomats, I, I'm not, it's not a direct quote, but diplomats are not supposed to have feelings. Diplomats are not supposed to question things from that perspective. They're supposed to be tough, real-world people, etc. So that's... That's the traditional concept of power and leadership. And what we're talking about here is coming at it from the position of taking responsibility for the whole, which means caring about everything that is part of it. It's about caring more and more and more, not less and less and less. And, you know, being a chaplain is a perfect training for leadership. Because being a chaplain is about caring for people's experience, regardless of what causes it. So, and just and and this that trajectory of caring more and more and more means that we will need more and more and more to be able to mourn and strengthen. So we're about to take a lunch break. We have a couple of announcements. I want to tell you that when we come back, that question of what stops you from stepping into leadership, we have an activity planned for that that will invite you to grapple with it at the level of your body. Not thoughts or words, <coughs> but body. It will be a bit of a zoo. We'll need to spill into... <laughs> into the, I mean, this is a very small room in my mind for the number of people that we have here, so we'll spill into the hall. But um, you can kind of like, as you eat and stroll and do whatever you do, let this question percolate. What's keeping you from stepping into that fullness of power and love? Great. So um, we're going to, so just a few announcements before we break for lunch. Um, 
Do you want to take care of the ride first and then also mention your, your, your materials? I, uh, two things. One is uh, reminding people that um, the books that I have written and published are out there available for sale. And um, second thing is I am wondering by any chance if there's anyone who could give me a ride home at the end. I live near the Mormon temple. Okay, I'll, I'll go with you, Virginia, because we haven't had a chance to connect in a while. Great. Okay, excellent. And Thank then, you. Um, two other announcements from me, and then a few words about lunch. Um, so uh, this is my book. You, there's, these cards are out there. This is for an online course that I just opened about bringing the practice into your life. Uh, so the course is specifically framed around coming off of a retreat, a meditation retreat, um, but all of the material is applicable for anyone who's interested in deepening their meditation practice and actually bringing it into their life. Um, so it's a six-week course, and if you have questions, just get in touch. I'm happy to, to answer and then also more broadly, there's an email list uh, for my work on the table over there. So if you want to stay in touch and hear about other things that I'm doing, you can just uh, sign up and print your, your email address and your name on there. I'm going to put a, 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 a sign-up sheet, too, out there. Yeah, great. Uh, so we'll take an hour for lunch. We'll start again at 1.30. Uh, you're welcome to eat in this room or upstairs uh, or outside. Oh, sorry, one other announcement. Um, the other program doesn't end until 5, and we end at 4.30. So that means that um, there might be someone blocking you, depending on where you parked. Just uh, if you end up being blocked in, there's someone behind you that's from the other program, just come to the office here and uh, and talk to the managers and will do what they can to release your car so you can get home. Great. Okay, we'll see you in an hour. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.